Hello there, friend. Welcome back to the Cash Confident Stylist Podcast. So before we get into this episode, I got a question for you. How often do you ask yourself, where the hell is my money going? Okay, look, a lot of us, that runs in a constant loop in our mind. And it's time to take your first step towards financial empowerment. So I wanted to give you a free resource that is going to help you do just that. I wanna give you Assess Your Situation, which is the first module in my course, as well as your guide to figuring out where the fuck your money is actually going. Sorry if you have kids in the car. So this is gonna be a free guide that I've created to help you break the loops, providing you with tools to assess your current financial situation. You don't even have to break out the calculator and to help you gain awareness about what you actually need to start making those money moves where it truly matters. So go ahead and scroll all the way down to the bottom of the show notes and snag it. The link is down there um, and enjoy this episode. Let me know how assessing your situation goes. Thanks friends. You're listening to Backroom Beauty Talks, a real, raw, and unedited podcast for hairstylists. Here, we dive deep into topics that go far beyond the chair. I'm your host, Misty Jane, and I'm a money coach for stylists who want more out of their lives. I help you enhance your mindset around money, get out of debt, and create a life of peace. I'm on a mission to normalize the wealthy stylist while creating a safe space to be perfectly imperfect. Want to join me? You're in the right place. Hey there, friends. Welcome back to Backroom Beauty Talks. Today, I'm talking with my friend Kayla Walker. Not only is she an independent stylist, she is also an educator that is helping small town stylists achieve big time success. I love, love, love these conversations because although we're talking about like a small town stylist, it goes this helps so many people. I mean, a lot of times that small town stylist mentality isn't just from a small town. It can be because your salon is in a specific neighborhood or you are on a street that is not as popular and you feel like you cannot have this big, amazing um, career or this luxury clientele because of your location. And to be perfectly honest, it is just not the truth. So this conversation is so good and you're going to pick up so many tips, even if you're in a big city. Trust me. I also want to tell you about an amazing live in-person event that is happening in Dallas, Texas in July. I'm super pumped. It's actually going to be my very first speaking event. It is going, I'm going to be standing next to some of my favorite educators, um, Jody Brown, Alicia, the founder of Salon Scale, Laura Simmons, um, Brittany Carmichael, a ton of people that you have heard on this podcast are all going to be at this amazing two-day event. This event is being put on by Independent Beauty Pros, and it is the Solopreneur to CEO Summit. It is going to be held July 17th and 18th in Dallas, Texas. And I'm telling you, this is going to be so good. And I would absolutely love not only for you to join me, but for you to come and say hi in person. If you are an avid listener, how amazing would it be to actually speak in real life and have these conversations in real life? This is for the independent stylist who is ready to scale their business, um, learn some new things, not just in your within your business, but also in your personal life, because of course I'm going to be talking about money. It's what I do. Um, but also to come and network with like-minded people from all over the country. I will link more information in the bio or in the um, show notes of this podcast. Um, So definitely, definitely check it out. And I would love for you to join me. With that being said, we are going to continue this conversation with Kayla Walker. Um, If you like it, remember, screenshot it. Tag me, tag her. You can find her Instagram handle also in the show notes as well as her website. So enjoy. Hello, Kayla. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited to chat with you because um, I think that what you talk about 
although you say small town, I think it can relate to a lot of stylists because I know I live in a big city, big city ish. And I have heard, um, lines like, well, I, because of the area I'm in, I can't charge this much or can't charge that much. And so I think that it actually, um, really applies to a lot of, of stylists. Um, so before we get started, who are you and what do you do? My name is Kayla Walker and I am a hairstylist. I've been independent for 18 years, but in the business for um, 19. Um, and my newest focus is focus or is focusing on helping small town stylists um, have the confidence to run their business like a real business. And like you said, I like that you brought that up that it doesn't it isn't specifically for small towns. It's more of a confidence thing than it is a small town thing. But I think that a lot of people use their geography or zip code as a reason to not level up their businesses or treat them um, with more boundaries and policies. Absolutely. Why do you think that is? Ah, that is a great question. I do think that it is a limiting belief because of the area that you're in that if you grow, people tend to try to judge you and hold you back. Like if you, it's kind of that herd mentality. If you're doing the same thing as the rest of the herd, it's totally fine. And then you just blend in and everything's okay. But if you step outside of that, and do something against the norm, it's almost like putting a trigger on your back. And not a lot of people have the confidence to want to be the first that goes ahead. And also, I think um, I think that we always have like small towns are cheaper outside of a large city is cheaper. And it's something that's just kind of ingrained in us. And if you go against that normal flow, it's that fear of like, will people be okay with this? Will people still come to my business? Uh, are people going to talk shit about me because I'm doing something that they're not? And the answer to all of that is yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the answer to all of that is yes. I have experienced all of that, but it hasn't stopped me from doing what I've done to grow my business and to treat it more like a corporation than a small business. and it has grown exponentially and I don't have any lack of clients or business. Right. You know, there is that I always like say that there is a butt for every chair. And sometimes when you align yourself with exactly the way you want to go, you weed out the butts that aren't right for your chair. And that is perfectly okay. Yeah. It's so true. I remember I had a client back in the day that would drive about two hours to me because she said she lived in a small town and she said there just wasn't anyone there that did good hair. Now, I don't know if they really didn't do good hair or if they didn't market themselves the way that she liked, or they didn't give the yeah. service that she liked. I don't know exactly, Exactly. Um, yeah. you know, cause it could be down yeah. to walking in a place and going, um, this seems dirty and I don't like, you know what I mean? Like it isn't always 100%. Yep. the technical aspect. <laughs> exactly. Um, yep. So she would literally leave a small town to mm-hmm. find somebody that fit what she wanted, you know? So it's, it's interesting, especially now in the age of social media, right? Like yes. people can find you, like, you don't have to just be somewhere where you, you like walk down the street and, um, find a salon. Absolutely. I, I have a lot of clients that drive from my area in Minnesota is about 90 minutes from the closest kind of big town. I guess there's one a little bit closer, but people drive from all over to come to see me because they have those same feelings. And again, it's not necessarily that I am better skill-wise, but I think it's the entire package. My services are modern and my, my techniques are modern my color services are giving them kind of that Pinterest kind of inspiration picture that they want, but it's the feel of my studio. It's how I conduct myself. It's how I dress and look while I work. It's the small things that I offer down to like a mimosa or a cold pressed coffee and like 
kind of more elevated beverages, having nicer snacks, having it smell good, having it pristinely clean all the time, having seriously even like like high quality capes because mm. I have clients that like comment on them all the time like oh these feel really nice it's like the teeniest tiny little touches that elevate the entire service and increase that perceived value it has sometimes I do think it has nothing to do with how I do hair there might be somebody five minutes away from me that does the same quality of work but it's not the entire package. The whole package has to be there, especially when you are trying to command a higher service dollar. Absolutely. I mean, the branding brings people in, but the experience keeps them coming back. Totally keeps them coming back. Absolutely. And it's funny you say that about the little things, because I remember I bought the plastic um, glasses, you know, the things you put over glasses so they don't get color on it. And clients would like, be like, oh my God, thank you. Like it is like a yes. what, $5 box of like plastic little glass like condoms. Of them. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. But it is, it's the tiny yeah. stuff that you think people don't notice and people yeah. really, really oh, do they notice. really notice. I have a towel warmer and put a towel, a warm towel underneath their neck at the bowl. Like how big of a deal is that? That is like my towel warmer costs me a hundred dollars probably seven years ago. Right. But every single time I put it under somebody's neck, they comment on how good it feels every single time. Well, people want to see where their money's going. Yes. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Cause if I just did really good hair, but did it in a kind of shoddy little, you know, space that kind of was bare minimum, didn't have like a aesthetically pleasing look and feel. It didn't smell necessarily like cozy and warm. It smells like and perm solution. It smells like perm solution <laughs> or somebody's lunch down the hallway. And then you're sitting in the chair. And my mom used to tell me they're sitting here for a long time and they are looking at absolutely everything. And she's right. You're sitting in that chair and she's noticing that there's a little ball of hair over in the corner mm-hmm. and that my baseboards have a little bit of dust on them. Every single one of those things goes into how they're perceiving that service, whether it's conscious or not. And I'm hyper aware of all of those things. I can't tell you how many times I retouch my baseboards because they get dinged because I'm like, ah, God, there's a chip in that one. (laughs) It's funny you say that too, because I had a stylist that I worked next to when I was in a commission salon who was like a clean freak. And I, I like things clean, but I don't notice every like, thing. And she yep. was like, you have to sit in your chair and look around at what the client is looking at. And I have thought of that. I think of that often. This was years yep. ago that, and I do it all the time. Now I will yep. sit in the chair and I will see what they're seeing. Cause I'm like, it's a completely different perspective. It is. It is like you and see the dust on a shelf that yep. I don't see when I'm standing up. Yep. And they're not busy. They just have time to take it all in. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, so true. My mom, well, everybody's mom is probably that judgmental voice in their lives, but my mom is really good for that. And when I do her hair monthly, I do kind of, Hey, what are you seeing that I can't see? Because I don't always trust that a client will tell me. Right. And I, I do like that perspective. And if it, I don't notice everything either. So Sometimes having that outside person that will be honest with me to come in and look one day, she said, everything's fine. Everything's really clean, but your air vent up there has dust on it. And I was like, oh my God, I, I would literally, I'm not even looking up there. Right. So, well, especially that, if it's, if yep. you're at the shampoo bowl. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Yes. It's so I true. I also don't lay at my shampoo bowl. So right. yeah, exactly. Yep. Okay. So what, so you went independent one year into doing hair? No. Um, oh, okay. Sorry. I was in a commission salon for my timeline is going to be messed up here, but I was in a commission salon for about eight years, moved to New York city and tried to be a big city colorist and failed miserably just because New York City is hard and scary. (laughs) I got my dream job, but the living situation forced me out soon. And then when I came home back to Minnesota, I started my independent business. And that was 10 years ago as a booth renter. And then three years ago, I went completely 100% solo in my own space, my own studio, everything was mine. Okay. Got it. Got it. Um, what made you like, 
I'm assuming at some point you had a shift. I'm assuming you had those limiting beliefs for a while and then something happened and you were like, wait, it doesn't have to be this way. Am I wrong to assume that? Um, I am going to maybe shoot myself in the foot here, but I'm going to say that I have always had an abnormal level of confidence. (laughs) I like that. And when it comes to my business and my abilities doing hair, I don't think I ever have had limiting beliefs. I have thought that the sky is the limit for me. Hmm. And I was given (laughs) limiting beliefs when I moved to New York City. But so that was the shift for me. Otherwise it was, I can do anything, be anything. I will be the best hairstylist in the country coming from a population of 7,000 people. Like I said, an abnormal level of confidence. However, um, that has bit me in the butt many times where I'm too confident. And then the universe checks me back down into being humble and I have to learn a lesson. And the big lesson that was the huge shift for me was that I am too cool for this small town. I'm too cool for this place for my salon that I work at. I want to do hair that cannot be provided in my area. So the only answer is to move to New York city Mm -hmm. to do what I would call at the time. This is 2000 and uh, early 2011. So I was the only person in probably a huge area that was completely hand painting balayaging. And I was like, nobody here does that. Nobody here wants that. I'm going to move to New York City. I moved to New York City. I get my dream job. I start working on some clients. My living situation was terrible. And that was then, like I said, like the forced upon me limiting belief of you got everything you wanted, but you can't, you can't make the money to live here. You can't live here. Everything sucks. Why don't you go back home and do what you've always wanted to do? You can create it at home. You just have to work a little harder and really search out those people. And I did, and it was hard, but it worked. Well, and a story. Yeah, I was going to say, and even before you went to New York, you had the limiting belief that people in your area didn't want what you had to offer, didn't yeah, want, yeah, didn't want the modern looks. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. So was the shift just that you knew that you could create it where you were? I'm going to go back. Basically. Gonna, yeah. Yeah. Yep. I figured um, I had just learned about Instagram at that time. And I figured that if I went back and only focused on what I want to do. And I didn't have an official face or Instagram page. I was using Facebook then, but even posting only the things that I wanted to do would bring more of that in. And for a very long time, I still had a very mixed bag of clients, but it started to be in my area that I was the girl that only did blondes. Hmm. And it was, it was definitely said in a snarky comment, (laughs) like it was said in a, in a tone, but to me, that felt like positive reinforcement. That was good feedback. Even though they said it in a snarky tone, I was like, yeah, you're right. I am the girl that only does blondes. Right. You owned it. Yeah. Yeah. Because then again, remember in like 2012, 2013, like that wasn't really a thing. So it was, I was the weird one that went ahead first, but it, it worked out in the end for me. So So what would you say to the stylist that's listening to this and is like, well, I'm in the wrong area. I can't charge that much. I, what's the point? I'm so booked out. I'm so burnt out and booked out. I don't have time to do Instagram. Mm -hmm. Like, what Mm -hmm. would you say to that person? Like, this is not for me. I'm destined for the burnt out stylist. Yes. Yes. I would say that if you are feeling that burnt out stylist life, that it is time to make that shift and figure out whatever way it is that can keep you from being burnt out. Whether the first thing that is, is enacting policies that kind of start weeding some people out, doing a price increase that start weeding some people out. First work on like the burnout part of it. And then when you kind of get into a groove, you can free up your time a little bit. You can not that you have to focus on Instagram, but if you only post the thing that you want, 
that is the thing that you will attract. And eventually that will take over the, you know, smaller services, the nickel and dimes, the things that do burn you out. And then they can start slowly being replaced. Yeah. It was my first, my first big, I can't, I'm getting burned out. I can't do all of these things was eliminating men and children. Mm-hmm. And that is a really easy place to start. Or if you're somebody that is a hairstylist that does eyelashes and nails and, you know, they, you're very diversified, limit those things and focus only on hair. Just really start honing down your service menu and eliminating the services that a Marie Kondo, your service menu is kind of (laughs) how I think of it. Eliminate the things that don't bring you joy or don't bring you that profitability that, you know, if I could be making a color right now, but instead I'm doing this $30 men's haircut, get rid of those things because it's not the client's fault that you're doing them, but you're feeling resentment towards them. It's not good for anybody. I used to stress if I had, when I was in a commission salon, we had to do updos and Mm -hmm. I used to stress so much. If I even saw one two months down the line on my book, it would like make me literally break out in a sweat. And the first thing I did when I went independent, I was like, I won't do any update. I I won't even like, like half pin up your hair for your prom. Like I like, no, (laughs) I feel that I, I feel that, but it is like, yeah, when you're in a commission salon, you have to do everything because that's kind of just like the service menu is for everybody. But when you have, when you're independent or you have the ability to choose, I think that it's most beneficial for you and your client to focus only on the things that you enjoy doing, because otherwise you do go into it with some fork, some form of anxiety or some form of resentment. Mm-hmm. And we all know that that means you're not going to be giving 100% of yourself. You might do the service impeccably, but the joy isn't there and a client can feel when there isn't joy behind it. Clients can feel the resentment. And again, it isn't their fault. So as hard as it is, starting by eliminating those things is like step number one. Step number one. And it's hard. It is super hard to tell clients that have been loyal to you that I'm eliminating that service. But when you explain to them that you're doing it for your benefit, to reduce your burnout, to focus on the things that bring you joy, and for their benefit, they will go to somebody that loves doing those things. Yep. And are probably better at it than you are better at it because they actually want to do it. Right. And it might be, it feels like a breakup for both of you at first, but I think like if that client could come back to you three months later, they would say, you're, you're right. That haircut that I got from so-and-so was the best haircut I've ever had. Want to know why she really liked doing it. Yep. That is the huge difference. Yeah. I could not agree more. And I think just having it be the benefit of them for them. Right. Like, yeah. like, yeah. no, this is for you. Like, because I think a lot of times I know anytime, cause so I didn't do updos and then I didn't do kids. And then I stopped doing men's cuts mm-hmm. and, um, and then I quit for 10 months and came back and now I don't do haircut only at all. Um, yeah. and clients assume it's because you're not making money. Yes, like my clients do. have said that to me. Like, yes, I know you don't want to do. do like this, like low price and that's yeah. not it. I just don't enjoy it. And I, t- and, and it's hard to tell them that. Um, but I don't regret it. Like I don't regret no. stopping any no. of those things and they have found people and, yeah. and it's fine. And the people who really still want to come to you, I have people who come cause I do gloss and haircut yes. together. Yep. They will pay 120, $150. <laughs> Just because yes. they want that haircut from you. Yes, and you know what? For that much money, thing. I don't mind doing it. <laughs> exactly. I did the exact same thing. I did eliminate haircut only, but then put in, um, I believe at the time my haircuts were $65. And I eliminated haircut only, but then put in what I call a nourish and trim, which is $135. It is a half an hour longer appointment. They either get a gloss or they get a deep conditioning treatment with their haircut. Mm-hmm. And I've doubled my money in half, you know, a half an hour more. And there is people that were still so 
like convinced that they needed to have me cut their hair that now they're willing to pay $135 for it. But the perceived value is increased. If I would have just said, okay, but haircut only now is our $135. That also isn't fair. I don't, I don't believe in eliminating clients by raising your prices and pricing them out because there is the people that will always pay. You could tell them you're $500 an hour and you might still get one or two takers and newsflash. It might be the person you want to get rid of the most. <laughs> like, yes. it, if you would just, if, uh, if you would just be honest with people and tell them why you can't do it anymore, why it's beneficial for them, they understand instead of doing this like passive aggressive, like I'm going to make you so uncomfortable that you don't want to come back to me. I think that that is such a bullshit way of breaking up with a client. And I got rid of every four week color clients as well. I just did not have the time in my schedule. And I told them that by saying, I cannot give you what you need. You need every four weeks. I am now incapable of accommodating that for you. And you shouldn't have to stretch it to six, stretch it to eight, have a color retouch kit in the in-between just so you can continue to see me. You should see somebody that can give you what you need on the schedule that you need. Yes. It's, it's not fair that you're holding on to me and I am not providing the full level of service that you have expected. And they get it. They totally get it. I am so big on transparency. Like I will like, I don't over explain because I'm against over explaining um, because I feel like that brings down your confidence immensely, but I will tell a client exactly. So, well, how do you say that? Say it how you would say it. If you were telling a friend about it, like, like just tell your client, like tell them. Yeah. They're they're humans. You have a script. You can just have a conversation and I, I do, I am against over-explaining because I do think that that sounds like it becomes justifying. Exactly. And when you start easing in onto the, you don't look as confident, even if people don't mean to do it, they kind of find those cracks in your confidence and they will poke and they will push. So if you go in with like the extreme confidence of a price increase of an eliminating a service, they don't push back on it. But if you go, is that going to be okay? Well, now it's not okay. Right. Well, and you're opening up for them to say, no, it's not okay. Instead of like, hey, I, you know, yeah. Like, hey, I'm no longer working Saturdays. Um, I'm having a price, you know, whatever. End of story. If you have any questions, feel free to ask. Yeah. You know, you can open up to questions. You can answer the questions, but, but no, I'm very big on that. Um, And I don't ever see a time in anybody's life where honesty and transparency hurts them in the long run. I'm probably too honest of a person and probably too oversherry of a person. That's why but you and I get along. <laughs> it is. It is. I, I don't have any boundaries when it comes to what I will say or do. No, I'm kidding. But it is, <laughs> it is something that has served me in my life that being honest, it can sting the other party right off the bat. People tend to like things sugar-coated, women especially, are sugar coders and they're used to getting sugar coating because that's kind of how we've always operated. But in the long run, I think that if people would take honest inventory of how they best receive news, honesty usually is always the preferred method. Absolutely. I think it was Don Bradley. I wish I remembered the exact, I've I've quoted this so many times on this podcast, actually. (laughs) I feel like my listeners could probably say it for me, but she said, you're not actually being a people pleaser. You're actually being a people disappointer because a lot of times when you sugarcoat stuff, you're trying to like, Mm -hmm. you know, save someone's feelings or, you know, make them be a people pleaser, but you're, you're saying something that isn't actually fact right? Yeah. Or like, yeah. so you're, you're actually disappointing them. And ever since I heard that, I was like, that is so, so that is so good. It's I, so good. I always like tell people that, excuse me, people pleasing pleases no one because you've now sacrificed your truth to make somebody else feel better. And they didn't get the truth. So they got the false sense of the story in the beginning anyways. And it's, it's just so much better to lead with honesty. And 
the thing that kind of goes hand in hand with that, and this is what I think, like where burnout comes from, is when you sacrifice how you feel in your truth to make somebody else happier, but and then in turn, you literally resent them. You cannot resent a person for a boundary that you never set. Like if they cross that line, well, you didn't draw one. So you can't be mad at them for crossing it. They don't yes. know. Oh my God. I love that. It's so true. And it's so true. And clients will push their, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but they're kind of like children. They will push their boundaries. They will see what they can get away with. We all know the client that is like, well, I mean, could you come in at seven that day? I know that you have your dad's funeral, but what time does it start? Like right. we've all had those clients. and. If you say yes to that, and then you go, you wake up that morning or you see it, you take an updo, <laughs> you don't want to, you don't like it, but your best client's daughter is getting married and you say yes. And it's three months down the line. And every single day for three months, you look at it and you're pissed. You're mad at yourself for taking it. You don't want to do it. The morning of you wake up with so much anxiety and you're kind of mad that you're coming in on a salary and you have to do this thing that you want to do. She's going to feel that. I don't care how the updo turns out. And that is not their fault. You said yes. Yeah. Draw the line where you want to draw it. Yeah. Everybody's happier. Exactly. I totally agree. And I think that, well, let me ask you if you agree with this. So I feel like a part of it too, is that we almost have this, like, nobody can take care of our clients like we can. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost like this ego that we have. Right. And like, so I don't want this I don't want my client to go and get an updo by this person because nobody will be able to make her as happy as I make her, which is not true. That is not true because one, you're not happy doing it. Okay. (laughs) Send her to the person, like you're still taking care of her by sending her to the person who loves to do updos, who does them constantly, who makes the client feel great. They're not going to leave you because of that. And if they do, that's okay too. Like that it's meant to be, but like, you still are taking care of your client by sending them somewhere that is going to make them happy. I have clients who go get haircuts at other salons. Yep. I, they get their color with me because I make them happy with their color and someone else makes them happier yep. with their cut. Perfectly fine with me. Yes. Yep. Like I set them up with that person. Like, yes. you know, <laughs> absolutely. And that I do think that is partially that we think that we can't take care of our clients better than ourselves. But I also think it's slightly a little bit of that ownership of like, well, they're mine. Mm. They're my client. What if they do like that person better? And then they want to go to her for color. Again, if they do that, that's fine. There is a butt for every chair. Maybe she was meant to to align better with that client and that opened the space for you to have somebody to align better with you. We, there is always more clients. There's more than enough clients for everybody in the world. And to have those feelings of like, I do think sometimes it's like those, those they're not, that's my client. And when you give somebody the ability to have that choice, I almost think that they trust you more. Mm, I because agree. they do know that you're trying to take care of them in the best way possible that way. They, yeah. You have established trust because you're not going to keep them regardless of you not wanting to perform the service, you not having the time. They, I think people truly respect somebody that respects their own boundaries. I totally, totally agree. And another thing that I noticed when I went out on my own and started like doing things that made me happy, because like my last year that I worked full time, I worked 23 hours a week. I made great money. I did not double book. I loved everyone in my chair. And what I realized is it was because I, my price point, like Mm -hmm. the services I provided, like it attracted the right people. And when I was cheaper, it was attracting the people who want to step all over your boundaries. (laughs) And I think people forget that. I I always think of it as a hotel, right? If I'm looking at hotels, I automatically will look at a low price tag and go, I will not stay there. I don't care if it's a beautiful hotel. If that price point is too low, nope. There's something about it that isn't right. Mm -hmm. You know? And like, why is it? It shouldn't be that way. 
And I yeah. think that we need to think of that as hairstylists too, because I do it with clothes. Yeah. I do, I do it with everything. And some people yeah. want the cheaper thing. That's okay too. You it know, is. but you have to decide what stylist you want to be. Yes. And it yes. doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter where you live and you can't be everything to everyone. Right. You're not Walmart. <laughs> like, right. And do you want you, to be Walmart? Cause yeah, I personally would rather be Target. <laughs> Amen. Amen. But I, I totally agree with that. And I think like watering yourself down to fit to everybody is what gives us the most headache is, is when you do get those bargain hunting clients, the ones that want to negotiate price with you, the ones that have um, kind of had the, the reputation of being a salon hopper, because they're just always trying to find out the best deal. There is people that, that they totally align with. This is the most, some people just want it because it's the most expensive. Like exactly. you do, <laughs> you find your people and you find your group. Like mm-hmm. when you, when you really hone in on what it is you want to do, the services that you love and enjoy and price them. I'm going to, you know, quote Elizabeth, our coach here for a second, but what energetically is worth it to you? What price is it worth you giving away the farm energetically? So you price yourself to the point that you can give that person your all, everything just falls into balance. Amen. God, I love that. So, okay. So you're talking about this on Instagram. You're starting, you're coaching, you're doing all the things, having classes. What is the biggest pushback you get? Like, what are stylists saying? Like, well, I can't do that. Why? Like, why? Like, what? What is? What is in that mindset that's happening there? Mostly, and it makes me so sad. Mostly, I hear that if I raise my prices, I will lose clients. Yeah, you. That's will. the point. That's the <laughs> fucking point. Oh my god, I know that it hurts to lose clients. And sometimes it hurts because you're going to lose the one you thought was the best client or your most loyal client. And they're going to, they're going to dip out on you. And you're going to realize like, Oh, they obviously didn't appreciate me as much as I thought they did. That's good. It's good to know that. I think every stylist needs to have a almost significant price increase every few years. I think you should have a small one every single year, but you should have a significant one every few years exactly for that point. Mm-hmm. Because if somebody isn't for you anymore, that's okay. There will be somebody else that is. Losing clients is the point of a place increase, especially when you are burnt out and you feel like you're, <laughs> you're starting to resent your job and going into work every day. Right. It is the point. And I even had somebody ask me the other day, she wanted to go from booth rental to her own independent actual studio. And she was afraid that she was going to lose clients from that switch. Mm-hmm. And I said, but she wanted you, to go cheaper. I bet yeah. I've heard that where people yep. like, I'm going to make my prices lower. So people will yeah. follow me. And it's like, yes. yes. And I said, you will lose clients. Sometimes geographically driving to the other side of the ta- town isn't worth it to them. They don't want to do it. You will lose clients, but guess what? There's clients on that other side of the town too. Yep. You can't ever focus on the losing of them. You have to focus on that. This is the best thing for me and my business. And when I'm doing the best thing for me and my business, I'm going to align with the people that fit that the best. And another thing that, yes, exactly. And I feel like people don't realize like the whole point, right? You're super burnt out. You need to open up more time. You're not only opening up more time for yourself, but you're opening up more opportunity for your clients Like maybe they're booking a time that they don't like because that's all you have. Like now you're helping them out more. So those clients that are willing to pay that bigger price, you're almost giving them a gift of being able to have more time that works better for them. So they're willing to pay more for that one. Yes. And, and uh, I apologize. I have had to push my cat for those listening (laughs) off the back of my chair about 27 times and she's driving me nuts. Um, Another thing that I think that stylists don't realize is when you are losing people because you raised your prices, you are now having gaps in your schedule, but you're making the same amount of money you were when you were have when you were fully booked. That is like the, that is the greatest point. 
And ever. nobody at like, nobody thinks about that part. And That's then true. when you start filling it, you make more money. Make so more. Then you're, yes. Then you're full yep. again and you do a price raise again. And it's just the yep. cycle and it's a constant up upward, like upping your income cycle. But it's like, yes, you might lose clients. That doesn't mean you're going to lose money. Yes. It means you're That's actually going to get a lunch break. <laughs> yeah. I go to the bathroom. Yes. Yes. And yeah, make the same care. amount of money. And make the same amount. You can take care of yourself and make the same amount. Absolutely. And if you I take guess, care of yourself, you're going to make more. I promise you. Yes. <laughs> yes, you are. Because when you are exhausted and burned out, haven't eaten anything and, you know, needed to pee four hours ago, you're probably not giving anybody your best. Exactly. Exactly. Including yourself mm-hmm. and including your family when you get home. And we can't push ourselves to exhaustion and getting sick because, you know, what is a, a stylist's biggest fear? Having to cancel a week's worth of clients. Well, when you're pushing yourself that hard, you're setting yourself up for exhaustion and getting sick. Yeah, absolutely. Amen to that. So talk to the small town client or stylist right now. Like if you could say one thing to them, if they only listen to this one part of the podcast, what would you want them to hear? I want them to know that anything that they want or to dream of is possible. And it does not matter that their what their zip code is, what their population is, what the GDP of their area is, is that every, and I'm gonna generalize here that every woman in every teeny tiny little corner of the world wants to look and feel beautiful and they will pay to look and feel beautiful. And if you provide the actual physical looking and feeling beautiful, but also give them that experience of feeling seen and heard and beautiful, there's no limit to what people will pay for that. And small towns are absolutely no exception, no exception to that. So if you want to do it, you just have to start implementing the, the steps in order to let you do it. That's all that it takes. If you want it, start doing it. Well, and at the beginning of this, you mentioned that a lot of times it comes down to limiting beliefs and confidence. Mm-hmm. And I totally agree. What would you say is the first way to start working on that? Is honestly, to me, if you have a confidence issue and limiting, like you don't feel like maybe your um, services are up to par, or maybe your Instagram's not up to par, take classes. There is no quicker way to building confidence than through education. Amen. When you you become an expert in your field because of the training that you have taken, you just have confidence behind it. If there is something that you don't have confidence in, it just means that you have a lack there and all you need to do is fill it with more knowledge. Just start with classes, start getting, start practicing, start getting better at what it is that you want to provide and the confidence comes from that. If you don't have the confidence to use your voice to tell clients that you have policies and to not get, not to be a people pleaser, start small and start practicing and start using your voice as a muscle to kind of build that confidence. Like you'll get reassurance that like, oh, this person didn't take it as bad as I thought they were. Okay, well, now I can do the next one. Building confidence is kind of like working out is like you need to practice and you need to become an, you know, you need to educate yourself and they kind of confidence fills in once all of those kind of things are met. Yeah, it's so true. Confidence is built on accomplishments. That is one of my favorites. And it can be as simple as having the conversation, right? Like just saying, saying to one client, like, Hey, just so you know, my, I want to let everyone know what my policies are for cancellations. Even if the client, I talk about this a lot, actually with some of my one-on-one clients, because even if you have a client that doesn't 
like no show or doesn't come in late. Right. And you Mm -hmm. want to build your confidence. I always recommend starting to just tell everyone like, just, just like, like, Hey, I'm just letting everyone know I have this cancellation policy, you know, and just tell every single one of your clients. I know that you don't do it to me, but I'm just making sure I cover everyone. And they know because nobody reads fucking websites, (laughs) (laughs) but I mean, even just doing that, that is going to help you build confidence because you're going to get used to saying it. You're going to get used to reactions and you're going to get used to how to respond. Um, repetition of it. Yeah. And it goes a long way and that goes for education. It goes for all the things, all of it. It does. You know, I'm all about education. (laughs) That is a really great, um, tip is to start by saying it to the people that you don't have a problem with because they're not going to push back. And then, yeah, then when it comes to that one, that's a problem. You've already done this 20 times. You got this like, yep. And you've done it 20 times to people that respect it. So when you get that one person that doesn't respect it, you're going to see how it feels for you and you're not going to like it. You're not going to give a shit if they ever come back. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) And not only not give a shit, but like, feel relief if that happens. Right. Exactly. I don't know. I have had to break up with client three clients in my entire 19 year career. Um, and I will tell you, it's very scary before the conversation. It's not fun during the conversation, but it is immediate relief at the end. Immediate relief, like a thousand pounds immediate relief. Absolutely. I, I do. And it's very, it is very rare to have those people that are, you have to break up with them based off of just how they make you feel. Yeah. But if you have those people and seeing their name on your books, oh my God, they have to go because mm-hmm. it's costing you peace. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've only had to do it in, for those kinds of situations a handful of times as well. And you are correct. It is, it's not easy. It's not fun. You've got like, you know, you got the butterflies in your stomach, but oh my God, the after. And then I can almost like until this conversation, I'm like, oh, you don't, I don't even think about that person anymore. And it is such a freeing feeling. Right. And it's interesting too, because all three of them, um, very similar situations and all three of them during me breaking up with them admitted (laughs) that it wasn't me. It was them being unhappy with yeah. the way they were aging, Oh, you know? Ooh, and it's like, I can't yeah. change that. Like, that. you know, so it's, it's, it was an interesting, cause that's usually we take everything so personally, mm-hmm. but I promise you people aren't thinking about us the way that we think that they're thinking about us. No, no. I, I would extend that to everything. Everybody is so focused on how they think people are going to be looking at them that they don't have the time to look at anybody else. Right. So that, that kind of goes for everything, but it especially goes for you as the the stylist and, you know, people are usually internalizing things much more than noticing what's wrong with you. Absolutely. Oh, this is so good. All right. I'm going to end this with one more question. Okay. I ask everyone this, or at least when I remember to, (laughs) (laughs) we don't do perfect around here. (laughs) Um, okay. What failure would you say you are the most thankful for? And I use failure loosely because I don't necessarily believe in failure. I think there's a lesson in all of it, but that's kind of the point. So what Um, failure are you the most thankful for? 100% moving to New York City. Mm. 100%. It was the humbling experience that I needed to come back to my town with humility and not with a better than shit ego. And it was the catalyst that I needed to start my own business because I did not want to. I went into booth owner, renter, um, kicking and screaming. You kind of know when you're in a commission salon that that might be your next step, but I didn't want to do it. So I moved to New York city to a commission salon. And when I came back, the only option was go back to the salon I was at or start my own business. And even though I went into it kicking and screaming, I went into it with that new level of humility where I could serve people on a 
a basis of caring more than I'm, <laughs> I'm giving them something they can't get because I'm a God. Cause I have, all, I have had a, I've, I had a, I've had an ego problem in my 37 years. Um, <laughs> I've been healing it over the past few, but it, it gave me the humility to come back. Cause I kind of came back with my tail between my legs and it was the catalyst that sent me on this path and this trajectory. And I honestly have not been happier since coming back. The contentment, doing my own thing and finding my own purpose and kind of having my ass handed to me was the best thing that's ever happened to me. I love that. I love that. <laughs> Kayla, the, bed bugs, the bed bugs were not the best thing that ever happened to me. Is that what that, was going on in the that could yes, that could be a whole side podcast, but I worked at a fancy Fifth Avenue celebrity salon. And I had bed bugs in my apartment. And it turns out that I had been bringing my bag every single day and putting it in the client closet oh. where like $2,500 Burberry coats go. And, and my bag may or may not have been infested with bed bugs. And oh, no. <laughs> I needed to go the fuck home. <laughs> Oh, this is, that is great. Oh, oh yeah. Do you know if a client ever ended up like, they probably wouldn't have admitted it. <laughs> they would never have admitted it. But yeah, the apartment that I had rented, this was on my fourth move in six months. The apartment that I rented last was absolutely infested. And the landlord told me that they didn't bite her. So she, it didn't, it didn't bother her. I'm Are not you kidding you. kidding me? How much I did you pay for that you. apartment? It was $1,200 for a pull-out couch in a living room of a one-bedroom, but it was in Greenwich Village, so it was, I mean- You were in a nicer spot. But it was in a really nice area. Right. Oh my God. That's wild. That is wild. (laughs) And Uh, that was in 2012. I was paying $1,200 a month for a couch. Wow. For a couch. With bugs. It's crazy. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. That is so funny. I'm glad this ended this way. <laughs> With bugs. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Kayla, where can people find you? Do you have any classes coming up? What, what do you got going on? Give, give them all your info. All right. You can find me on Instagram. I am at Walker underscore Atelier. Um, that's French and it's hard to pronounce or spell, but if you type in the K Walker and underscore, I think, I think you'll find me. Um, my website is kwalkeratelier.com. And I do have a class coming up in Granby, Colorado on June 20th at Rip Salon. And I am super, super excited for that one. Is that on your website? Like where people can buy tickets? Yep. Okay. I will link my, your website and my, um, in the, in the show notes. That is, that would be wonderful. Thank you. Yay. Thank you so much. This was a great convo. Thank you so much. It was so much fun. I enjoyed it. It won't be our last. No, absolutely not. (laughs) Great to see your face too. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Once again, thank you so much for listening to Backroom Beauty Talks. If you like what you hear, screenshot this episode, post it on the gram, tag me at Misty Jane or tag the podcast at Backroom Beauty Talks, and I will talk with you on the next one.